We've been studying just a few verses over the past few weeks. Had lunch with a friend of mine the other day. He said, our small group, we discussed your message the other night after your message. You, you preached the whole time on one sentence. I said, well, I know there was a lot to that sentence. And it's taken us three weeks just to get through these five verses. My friend James read the verses earlier, so we're going to move on to that. The first week, we talked about the righteousness of God. Last week, we talked about the sin of man. And today, finally, verses 24 and 25, we are discussing the justification of Christ. Now, some of you may wonder... Why do we, you know, need to talk about something that's so familiar to us? You know, it's that same old doctrine of salvation again, you know, salvation through faith in Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, he said, This is the very salt of the gospel. Indeed, it is impossible to bring it forward too often. It is the soul-saving doctrine. It is the foundation doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is that by which God is pleased to bring many into reconciliation with himself. We must be rooted and grounded in this fundamental and cardinal truth of justification through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have to continue to repeat the truth. This is the the main thing. Paul was really good at keeping the main thing the main thing, and that's what we want to do. We are justified through the righteousness of our Redeemer and not by any righteousness of our own. And no matter who we are, we seem to always keep falling back into this idea that somehow it has to do with what we can do on our own effort to accomplish our salvation, which is why we have to continue bringing the same message. So we've made our way to verses 24 and 25 today. I'll read them for you. It says, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. We're going to focus on three things today, and here's the three words I want us to to remember. The first one is justification. The second one is propitiation. And the third one is declaration. So you can write those down. Kids, if you've got your journals, justification, propitiation, and declaration. So first, some thoughts on justification. Verse 24 says that we are justified by his grace as a gift. We're justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What is salvation? Simply put, salvation is being justified. It means we are declared righteous by God. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about there's this status that we have um, before God. And there are only two options. Do you remember what those two options were? Condemned or righteous. There's, there's no in between. You're either one or the other. You've either found this way, God's way, of trusting in faith in what Jesus did, and you've been moved from condemned to righteous, or you have not. That can't be very scary, or it can be very um, exciting, depending on which side you're standing on. Justification is a legal act. It doesn't mean that somehow when when we trust and put our faith in Jesus that we are all of a sudden made righteous on the inside. It means we are declared righteous by God. It's, It's how God regards us. We are regarded as righteous. Our status before him has changed. The Lord has planned a way by which he can be just, which is his nature, and at the same time, he can declare the guilty, us, 
to be justified. A way by which he can be just and yet the justifier of him who believes. And that way is this, a way of substitution. This is a very important word for us to believe in, that Jesus actually was our substitute. Our children were very, very young when they began to understand that they made mistakes. I mean, they sinned, often, (laughs) still do. And they began to understand that that sin was deserving of punishment. And we let them know the good news. Someone already took that punishment for you. He was your substitute. That is huge. Our sins are taken off of us and they are laid upon Christ Jesus, the innocent substitute. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul reminds us, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See how all this fits together? The passage says we are justified. It's the present tense. Now, this is exciting because we don't even have to wait until we die to receive this declaration from God as being righteous before him. It says we are being made righteous. It's a great source of rejoicing if you're a Christian person. We're declared righteous by God then at that moment. He says that justification is a gift, this gift of grace. It's a free gift as far as we're concerned. If you grew up in a Catholic church, you, you might have thought, been told that there was no way on this earth that we could receive assurance of salvation, that it depended upon the church and her activities, right, and things like that, and that you could really never know if you had done enough. But this passage rebukes that. It says, we are, present tense, justified freely by the gift of God's grace. What a blessing. What a reason to celebrate. If we have received this gift, we have assurance of salvation at that moment. It's a gift of grace. Grace is one of those great New Testament words. We sing about it, amazing grace. How many people, that's your favorite song? Yeah, sure, some of you already. Another hymn writer, Philip Doddridge, early in the 18th century, he wrote these words. Grace, tis a charming sound, harmonious to the ear. Heaven with the echo shall resound, and all the earth shall hear. Grace first contrived the way to save rebellious man. And all the steps that grace display, which drew the wondrous plan. There's no more wonderful word than grace. My kids love grace. Getting, you know, some, something that they, they don't deserve. That, that, that's a great thing. Don't we all love grace? I love, to get, I love grace. I paid all my taxes. I got this little small check back. And then three weeks later, they sent me another little small check. I didn't even know I needed it. I mean, I knew I needed it. I didn't know I deserved it. I don't know if I deserved it or not. I don't even know who's in charge over there. But it seems like they just give money to whoever asks. But this word grace, what it really means is unmerited favor. It means getting something you don't deserve. It's kindness shown to one who is utterly undeserving. And it's not only a free gift. Listen to this. It's a free gift to people who deserve the exact opposite. You know in your heart you've broken God's law thousands of times. Yet here he is, allowing you to receive this gift free, even though you don't deserve it. Grace. We are without hope and without God, and even when we are in that position, God provided this gift for us. Paul says we are justified by his grace. His grace. Whose grace? God the Father. God the Father. That's what makes this gospel so amazing, but also so impossible for us humans to understand. The one against whom we have sinned, it is his grace. It's his plan that reconciles us to him. 
What makes this all possible? How can God do this? He says we are justified by his grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now this is huge. There are some of you who may ask, well, if God is love, why can't he just say, hey, sinners, you're all forgiven. I love you. It's all good. It's a good question, isn't it? I mean, God's love. He spoke and creation happened. Why can't he just speak and let everybody be saved and forgiven of their sins? The New Testament writers wanted their readers to be clear on this fact, that that could not happen. Because of God's justice and righteousness, which we learn very early on in the Bible, that are part of his nature, something else had to happen before our forgiveness could become possible. The first man, Adam, acted as our representative. And when he sinned, it was imputed, put on all of us. The scripture says, as by man came death, so by man also comes the resurrection from the dead. Amen? As by man, Adam, sin came into the world, and the race perished. So by the second glorious man, Christ Jesus, grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life. Jesus did not come into the world just to announce the way of salvation. He came to make the way of salvation. He came to redeem us. This is what this redemption is talking about. The word redemption is is this word that's used for releasing the bonds of a prisoner or slave by the payment of a ransom. You see, as the result of sin, man has not only become guilty before God, he has also become a slave to sin and death. You've probably felt that before you knew Jesus. This, this internal struggle of constantly trying to figure out what's wrong but not exactly being able to put your finger on it and also having no idea of how to get around it to fix it. He came to ransom us, to deliver us. He paid the price to have the prison doors flown open and set the, sa- the slaves free. So although this, this salvation is a free gift to us, it did have a cost. And Jesus paid the price. It cost him a life of obedience It cost him a death of shame, of agony, and of suffering. But he has justified us. He has paid that ransom. Verse 25 says that whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This is our second word today, propitiation. Now that's a really big word, and it's a very biblical, churchy word, But in fact, it's not even found in the Bible that often. But all of the plan of salvation hinges on this, and we should never try to remove it. So what exactly happened on that hill at Calvary? What is the meaning of Jesus' death on the cross? And the answer is in this verse in two words, and those two words are propitiation and blood. So what does propitiation mean? It means to appease or to avert wrath. Lloyd-Jones says there's four essential elements in a propitiation. Number one, there is an offense that needs to be taken away. Number two, a person offended who needs to be pacified. Number three, a person guilty of that offense. And number four, a sacrifice or some other means of making atonement for the offense. You see, what our Lord did on the cross was to appease God's wrath. Now, you might ask, why is God angry? Well, we talked about that last week. The answer is because of sin. 
He is opposed to all that's evil. It's his nature. He can't be okay with it. He can't just let it slide, okay? As a parent, we decide with our kids. Brooke says to me all the time, you got to decide which battles to fight. God doesn't do that. He doesn't lose. And when there is sin, it has to be punished. He doesn't decide, well, that was a big sin. I better punish it. This was a small sin. I'm going to let that one go. No, sin is sin, and in his nature, he is completely opposed to it. It's because God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Paul has been dealing with this in Romans, in this letter to this church, since chapter 1 in verse 18, where he said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All men have sinned. And therefore, all men are under God's wrath. But here's the good news. Verse 21, but now. A propitiation has been provided. God's wrath against all sin has been appeased. And the amazing thing is this. God provided the propitiation. The God who was angered is the God who finds the propitiation. Consider the motive of the atoning work of Christ. The motive is the love of God. Jesus didn't say, hey, you know, you guys, the Father's really angry. I'm going to make a way to come down there and make this all right. No, the Father said, I'm really angry at the sin, but at the same time, I love you so much, I'm going to give my only son. John 3, 16, God so loved the world. God, God the Father, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the very next verse, for God sent not his son into the world to judge the world, but what? That the world should be saved through him. He loved us first. God doesn't love us because Christ died for us. Sometimes when we have become Christians, we sometimes forget that. And we think, oh, well, God loves me because I'm a Christian and Jesus died for me. Meaning, God doesn't love the people that haven't yet received his grace. Well, we so quickly forget where we were when God found us in that pit. He loved us first. Christ died for us because God loved us, not the other way around. So the next question we have to ask is this. In what sense is Jesus the propitiation that appeases the wrath of God? Look at our verse in 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation, how? By his blood. Now, I want you to see that this idea runs all through the New Testament. I mean, why talk about the blood of Christ? Why not just say Christ died? Why not just talk about his death? Why specifically keep mentioning the blood? Romans 5, 9, Paul says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, Ephesians 1, 7, Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood. Ephesians 2, 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In Hebrews, the writer says, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, like in the Old Testament, but by means of his own blood. This brings the way in which he redeems us in line with the whole teaching of the Old Testament. I love that. John the Baptist, he was the first one to do this. When Jesus came on the scene, do you remember what he said when he saw our Lord? He said, behold, the Lamb of God. What was he talking about? He was talking about the first ever Passover, the Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sins of the world. 
The Old Testament sacrificial system was put in place in order to appease God's wrath. They were sinning, and God's wrath against their sin had to be appeased. So they would kill an animal, spill his blood, and God would be appeased. For how long? Not very long. (laughs) The blood of animals doesn't take away all the sins of the world forever, like the blood of the spotless, perfect lamb, Jesus Christ. So they would have to continue to do it. The Old Testament... He was clear, and, and, that, and in, even in Hebrews 9, 22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Why not? The answer is in Romans. Paul says, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. It's fundamental. It's always been that way. In fact, God told Adam, even in the beginning, the day you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Why? Because he ate a bad fruit? No, because he sinned. And the wages of sin is death. So it runs from the very beginning of this word all the way through the end. Do you see how amazing that this Bible is just one story and how the whole thing is connected and and unified? In the Old Testament, the animals sacrificed were substitutes taken by the sinner so he didn't have to kill himself on the altar. Sounds like a good deal. Not for the goat, but, but for the guy. When the blood was shed, sins were forgiven, and God's wrath was appeased. Of course, it was never completed because they had to keep bringing the sacrifices. But in here, in Romans 3, we are told God himself has made Christ our substitute. No longer do we need to kill all these poor animals and shed their blood. Jesus, he did that for us once and for all. The very God, though, whom we offended has provided the substitute. What love. He has set forth his own son as the propitiation for our sins. One of my favorite songs in Christ alone says, Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. God's wrath at that moment on the cross was poured out on Jesus. Sometimes we don't think about it that way. We just think, Jesus suffered for a little bit, a few hours, he was beaten, he was killed, and then he died, and then he came back to life. No, on that cross, the Son of God had all the wrath of God, the Father, poured out on him, taking that for us. His one-time sacrifice takes care of sin, past, present, and future. God's justice and his love were perfectly united, together joined at the same time, as he says to sinners who have no way to redeem themselves, receive my only begotten son and render him in place of yourself. Propitiation. And finally, we move to this final word, declaration. At the end of verse 25, he says that all of this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. This is the reason that the whole series is titled Righteousness Through Faith. Paul tells us that all of this was to show God's righteousness. He was to declare it. That's where we get our word for today. A way for him to be just, to punish the sin, which is his nature. But at the same time, because of his love for the sinners... Announced the guilty to be justified. Our verse says that he had passed over former sins. What does this mean? Well, from creation up to the point of Jesus' death, a lot of people have lived. 
I don't know if it was 4,000 years or more or whatever it was, but a lot of people lived and a lot of people sinned a lot of times. But God somehow had looked forward to what was going to happen in Jesus. See, this was never the backup plan. It was always the original plan. I mean, our, our, favorite, our favorite characters from the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all those saints of faith, whose faith was counted to them as righteousness, after death they experienced being with our Lord. How did that happen if the blood of Jesus had not been shed? Because in God's divine forbearance, he was looking forward to the great sacrifice of Jesus and how that act would pay for the ransom of all sin, past, present, and future. If Jesus had never died, God would not have been just in allowing those sins to go by in the Old Testament. But he is. What a plan. In a minute, we're going to, to participate in the Lord's Supper or Communion. But we know that there's no communion with God until your status with him is changed from condemned to righteous. If your status has never been changed and yet you've, you've taken the Lord's Supper or someone has given you communion, all that's really happened was you had a, a late morning snack in church. Because this was to remind us of the Passover lamb, the one who shed his blood so that our sins would be passed over and put on him instead in our place as a substitute. The gift is free to you. You only need to receive it. It's the only gift that will satisfy that longing you have in your soul that I spoke of earlier. That longing for rest you've been looking for. Not a physical rest like Sidney and Jack need this week. You're not from being tired. But a rest from knowing that something is wrong and having no idea yourself of how to fix it. God provided the fix. Now come and receive it. Jesus gives the same invitation in Matthew 11 when he says, Come to me. Come. That's the invitation. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He wasn't talking about something short-term or physical. He was talking about long-term spiritual rest. Rest for our souls who are searching and seeking after something that will fix the brokenness inside of us. And if you're still looking for that rest, all I can say to you is just come to Jesus today. It's a free gift. All the work has been done. We got some people that are going to come, and they're going to serve the Lord's Supper. And I don't know if this is okay, because I don't know if our overseers are going to be part of that. But if we got overseers that are not participating in this, can they come up here? And here's what the invitation is. There's only one invitation today, and it's this. If you've yet to be changed in your status from condemned to righteous, come grab one of these overseers by the hand. Yeah, come on right now. Come grab one of them by the hand and tell them you want Jesus to be your substitute. That's all you got to say. I want Jesus to be my substitute. I'm sinning. I can't stop. I know there's no way for me to be made right with God because of everything I've done in my past, everything I'm doing today, and everything I know I'm going to do for the future. I need Jesus to be my substitute. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you're going to be saved. So I want you to come grab one of these guys by the hand and confess it with your mouth that you want Jesus to be your substitute today. And then when that is finished, we're going to celebrate with you. You're going to go back to your seat, and for the first time, you're going to receive communion with God in a way that will mean more to you than it's ever meant in your life. And for the rest of us who have already made that decision... Isn't this a great time? Probably don't do it enough. 
that we would be reminded of the price paid for our life, that ransom that Jesus paid. I love that we have kids in here today because, kids, if you've made that decision too, we're going to do it together as families. You'll never outgrow it. It'll never become old news. It'll never become boring. It'll always be that thing that has made the most significant difference in your life. I'm going to pray. Pastor Sidney's going to come. We're just going to put some soft music on, if that's okay. And for the next few minutes before we start this time of Lord's Supper, make this your chance. If you're the Christian, the Bible says that we ought to examine our lives and our hearts, those things going on in our minds, confess our sins before the Lord, ask for forgiveness. They've already been paid for. There's no reason to hide them. And then get ready to enjoy his table. And for those of you who have not yet made that decision, come right now and make that decision. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And we're going to celebrate as a church family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have made the way. Which is unbelievable because you are the one who has been offended. We are the offenders. And we confess to you there is nothing that we can do. We've tried. We've tried it all. Try different ways of, of attending church or giving to this or, or helping this person or trying our best to accomplish something that only your son could accomplish on the cross. All the things we had tried, the blood of the Passover lamb was not shed in those ways, only on the cross, and his blood washed our sin away. We confess to you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you for making that way. Thank you for our church family and that we can be gathered here like this to celebrate your table. Do a work in our hearts today, Father. Save those who have not yet made that decision to put their trust, their faith, their reliance in the cross of Jesus. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.